0: Welcome to Uncommon Sense. I'm your host, Jill Gleba, and we're talking to inspirational, common, and imperfect people just trying their best and trying to gain some uncommon sense. Brenda is a mom, author, entrepreneur, and a woman with a sense of purpose. She grew up in Detroit with supportive parents and went into finance. By accident, she ended up being one of the few black women in commercial real estate. Our conversation leads to Brenda learning to be independent, Instead of trying to please others, she learned that money is a tool instead of spending money emotionally. And she has a ministry called Purpose 8 Institute. Rediscover your values and what is important to you. Brenda shows us the way. So welcome. Thank you for coming. Thank you, Jill, for inviting me. I appreciate it. The reason I invited you is I find you to be very interesting. You grew up in Detroit. You're in an industry that... Um, probably is dominated by men more so than women and you're making it and the purpose of this podcast is really it's about money but it's about doing the best you can with your money so it's not always just about investing and saving it's about the choices you make in life and I think a lot of it is your Institute is people living a life with purpose you might be helpful to some people today so you grew up in Detroit right yes do you want to tell me a little bit about your upbringing so I grew up in Detroit Family,
1: mother, father. Father was an accountant, which I think was amazing to be in the 60s as an accountant with Chrysler. My mother worked at um, Chrysler in the factory, so grew up middle-income, middle-income neighborhood. Basically, just was raised
0: with the idea that you can do anything that you put your mind to. Which is pretty awesome. Yes. And did you feel a little bit different from your neighbors growing up? I felt
1: different in school because I had uh, my mother that always pushed me to do well, and she was not the type of person to disappoint. And so I always had to have very good grades. And being in school, uh, peer pressure of, well, you know, I was told you sound white, you think you're smart, but um, I'm like, okay, <laughs> I'm good with that because I have a mother when I get home she's not interested in that. She wants to see A's on that report card. So I fear my mama more than I fear you. So I'm (laughs) going to get good grades. But I did well in school and I liked school a lot. So my mother was the source of me being who I am. A good portion of who I am is her determination. They came from Mississippi, um, in the hills of Mississippi, and they were part of the group of blacks and moved from the South to the Detroit for the um opportunities and so our family left there and the majority of my family is in, in Mississippi still. So we were pretty much here and just isolated, just our family. So uh, looking back, that had a whole lot of impact. Didn't have a whole lot of distractions. So you were focused on school and um we played in the neighborhood, the kids and everything. We Walked to the corner store, we rode our bikes, did all that stuff, and then, it. I think it was in early seventies. The neighborhood got split because the freeways went through, and at the time, you didn't understand what that was about. It was just like, okay, the neighborhood. And as I've gotten older and read about the whole having the highways and freeways go through black neighborhoods. I realize now what that was, what I thought was fun riding down the hills on my bike when they were digging up the freeway. The bigger picture was it was breaking up um, neighborhoods and breaking up families and and things. So it was a really good uh, childhood. Yeah, I had a lot of fun riding the bikes and skateboarding and beating up boys. So that was cool.
0: (laughs) That's funny. That's that's my childhood. Yeah. But, but it's a big deal. You think about it. Your parents separated from the rest of their family went after some opportunities. So now I could see maybe their attitudes toward their kids like, you know what, we went through all this and we didn't go through this for you to be a slacker. Okay. Yeah, yeah. 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 And I always am puzzled. I don't mind saying this. If you're black and you're smart, then you're black and you're smart. Why say it's a, a race thing? Because it's crabs in the bucket. Yes. So, but. Explain that crabs in them. the bucket to some people that might not know that expression. I do. Crabs in the bucket is when you're
1: so concerned about someone else and what they're doing that you're not using your own energy to be who you are. So, when you're in a bucket, you are trying to, the one crab is trying to get out and the other crab's trying to
0: pull you back. Pull you back in and not mm-hmm. let you get free. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, that makes more sense to me now because here you started out. I think we both went to Wayne State. Yep. And you were in finance. Yeah. Which is probably less than 10% of the students were female in uh, finance. And you said you came into commercial real estate by accident.
1: Yeah. And I came into finance by accident. So growing up, usually with the narratives of math, um, it's you can't do math. Math is too hard. Even my son, when he was going through school, it was clients tell me that he couldn't do math or it was too hard it's like okay so I never really I always thought I couldn't really do math and I ended up following and I'm going to say this <laughs> I, I fell into business because my boyfriend at the time was in business and I just wanted to tag along <laughs> behind him and I ended up being in the business classes and I'm like I really like this so it was a shock to me because I had been in high school I was in art and I thought I was going to be an artist and then they had this whole thing. The computers are coming. They're not going to hire graphic artists. You've got to pivot. And so I'm like, OK, I don't really know what to do. I'll just follow him and see what he's doing and ended up liking it. And I was good at it. And that switch went on and that was it. So I left when I graduated. I ended up going to work for a bank downtown. I can't remember the name because it's so long okay. ago. <laughs> and they were merging this when all the larger banks were merging in. I went through that program, and I, at the time, how you find out about a job then? It's the Sunday papers. You go and look, and I saw this ad that said real estate, and I'm like, hey, I'm kind of interested. I don't really know what. I thought it was about houses. I'm like, I don't really know what it is, but I'm going to go and find out I needed to improve my interview skills, so I was just going on a whim. I mean, I really didn't even take it that seriously, so I went there, and I just had a good time talking to everybody, and then they called me, and they were like, oh, well, you got the job on my house, um, so it was like 300 people, who actually applied. Um, I'm going to give kudos to my former employer, Aquis Realty Advisors. Um, Dave Ong is fabulous. Nice. He is um, like a father figure to me. He is colorblind in terms of people. Mm-hmm. He sees no color. He sees no gender. And that whole 12 years that I was with him, I learned so much about real estate and that is my standard for real estate, working at
0: aquas Realty Advisors and Dave Ong. So kudos to Dave Ong. Love him. That's awesome. So I want to point out two things that you mentioned that I think are helpful. Yeah. One is you went on a practice interview. You end yeah. up getting the job. We have a, a young lady at her office. And I told her, I said, listen, she's graduating. She wants to get the big bad job. And I suggested to her to go out and practice interviewing with different companies like companies you might not need the job just go out and interview with them and say what do you do I want to see if I like this industry et etc mm-hmm. so that's number one I thought was pretty cool and you end up getting the job probably because you were relaxed mm-hmm. trying to explore what was this right mm-hmm. um let me try to remember the second thing oh having a mentor yes I missed out on that I didn't have a, a mentor for many many years I was just kind of paving it and it, I feel like with a mentor I probably could have five ten times better Mm. Better meaning not go through all the mistakes I did. And it's okay. We all make mistakes. It's fine. But I think those are two wonderful hints for people. Yes. Just for the record. Yes. So now you're commercial real estate. You have your ministry. Mm-hmm. You're a mom. You're busy. The wife, too. Yes? Yes, yes. So I know you and I had some conversations about money and growing up with money. And you had in my opinion, a really good experience because your parents cared. They wanted you to get good grades. A lot of the kids don't have that. And it does lead to you have to get some kind of trade or something that you can make money, not just a hobby. But I guess my question to you is what made you become an entrepreneur? Because commercial real estate is an entrepreneur.
1: I'm going to say that um, my goal up to the age of 50s that I wanted to be a CEO. I wanted to I own a business. I wanted to sort of set my own path. But it wasn't until I discovered what purpose was and I submitted my life over to Christ and I decided I was going to be about purpose, that's when life got a lot clearer Mm. um, because I had a focus before. It was more of um, what does corporate say? How should I dress? How should I talk? How should I meet? How can I fit in this box? And then when I discovered the principal purpose, it was more of, who does God say I am? Who am I to be? What am I supposed to be doing? And everything got clearer because there was less distractions and less about what them and they say and more about what he's called me to do. So I didn't get that. Stretch of wisdom <laughs> until I was 52. So, um, <laughs> that's okay. No, it came at the right time. So, it's, it's, it was all about
0: timing. So, he, he had been chasing me for a while, but I was hard-headed. So, he got me. <laughs> and I'm going to relate that to money, if you don't mm-hmm. mind. Yes. I love what you just said because I can apply the same thing to money. Uh, if you're just making your paycheck, spending it next week, you get your paycheck, you spend it, you have no purpose. You don't have any goals. Mm -hmm. And we always talk to people about the short, medium, long-term goals. And we constantly tell people, your retirement plan is not a savings account. Use your savings account as the savings account. Mm -hmm. And when you have a purpose for your money and your life, it is clear. And it is easier to be successful. And wouldn't you say less stressful? Mm -hmm. Yes, because my options are limited. It's either...
1: I choose and make decisions. Everything is based about my purpose, and that includes my money, my energy, my activities, my business.
0: It's all about surrounded around purpose, and that's the difference I see between the reason I like talking to you today. You and I both grew up in Detroit. Not a lot of means, if you will, mm-hmm. but we both put our head in and figured out what we want to do, and we're happy. And you're making we're making enough, if that makes sense. So when I think about people listening here, I want them to have a purpose for their money. When you make money, I want you to have a purpose and have enough. If you don't have enough, you have to evaluate either how are you spending it or can you make more? Mm -hmm. Can you spend less or can you make more? That's really, that's it. That's all there is. And I know that you said you came to a realization, okay, my money is purpose. Tell me about that journey. Like, did you start? Thinking of money differently? Did you do things differently? Help some people out. How did you make that change?
1: I'm going to say that when I was taking my master's class, um, no, I think it was my bachelor's class, when I was in finance, I realized that finance was a tool. Before it was sort of like you work, you get paid, you go buy the stuff you like, (laughs) if you got something left, you know, whatever. But when I realized in that finance class that money was a tool, And I started reading about how the bigger perspective was with money and that um, even though I put money in the bank at night, it's not just sitting there that things are going on behind the scenes. Someone's making money off of my money. You know, I started seeing things differently and took the emotion out of the money and started using it like a tool, like everything else. Um, It has a purpose. It has a reason for it. And. How you use it, manage it, tweak it, think about it has impacts on um, your life from being young to being old. You're still making those decisions of how can I make this money that I have work
0: best for me. And I have to say, I think that's the biggest mistake, number one mistake with money is people are emotional about it. And what did you do that was emotional about money? that you feel probably wasn't in your best interests?
1: Um, when I was younger, I had a habit of every time I got paid, I went and bought me an outfit. And that was silly. And when I was younger, I thought, well, since I'm young, I can make mistakes and I can, <laughs> I can figure it out later. Um, it would have been easier to save more when I was younger than have the appreciation of the dollars and let them work for me as opposed to working for the dollars.
0: I get that because I always tell people, they don't realize there's only really two ways to make money. Either you work for it, and additionally, you can have your money work for it too. So you could have two things going on instead of being the gerbil on the wheel, making right. it, spending it, and starting all over again every week. Right. Um, if you have a pile of money that's making money, um, the ultimate goal of most people, not all, but most people is to replace their income one day. Mm-hmm. That, that's the ultimate goal. If I have a pile of money... That someday can provide me with the same income that I'm making as I'm working, then okay, I don't have to work anymore, unless I want to. And to me, that's that would be a comfortable life if you have enough that you don't have to work anymore. And people don't, for some reason, and I think it's because the parents don't know better. My parents didn't; they knew how to save. They never taught me how to invest, and they just didn't know better. It's not that they were bad parents; they just don't know better. And <laughs> The whole reason I wrote my book, the whole reason I do this podcast is for those people that are making good money, but they don't really know what to do with it and how to make better money decisions, obviously. And mm-hmm. so you decided I'm not going to just go out shopping and make myself feel better. I've had clients, um, I'm going to tell you over the years, male and female, by the way, mm-hmm. that they have to have the best of everything. They're spending probably double, triple than they need to. And, you know, if you have the money, I'm not going to knock it. But if you're not making your house payment or if you don't have enough money to pay your bills, um, we need to curb that. And you said you see a lot of that, too. You and I talked about you've seen your friends or people that you've worked with. Yeah. They do the same thing. They spend their money on silly things. Right. And then they don't have enough. Yeah. To pay their bills.
1: I'm going to say that also I like nice things, too, but I like them at a discount. (laughs) <laughs> and I like to figure out ways of how to get what I want at a cheaper price. I think I was talking to you about this before, about the markup. Like on retail, I'm trying to find it, whatever I'm looking for at a discount or cheaper, as opposed to me paying more for it. And then whatever I'm buying for an asset. It's like I had a, I bought a sports car for my 50th birthday a month, but I bought a sports car with a 0% interest rate. Nice. I bought it for putting very little money down, and then I took very good care of it, and then I sold it for basically what I bought it for. Nice. Though so it was an imbe- I knew I was going to sell it at some point, so I didn't have an emotional attachment to it. I had a little bit. Took pictures <laughs> before I sold it. Well, I was going to say, it's, if it's fun and you yeah. enjoy it, there's yeah. emotion. Of yeah. course, it's yeah. fun. Yeah, but I knew I was going to eventually sell it. Another thing I learned that working. For a previous employer and the clients would come in, they would talk sometimes about what they would buy and then they would flip it. And then they would buy take that money and then buy something else and flip it. Mm -hmm. And I'm going, okay, I don't need to have that emotional attachments to things. I need to see the value in in it and there's
0: an opportunity to sell it. Now sell it and just not be attached to it. You just described how you described commercial real estate to me. Mm -hmm. He said, it's not an emotional buy, it's very logical and can I make money and mm-hmm. can I flip it and that sort of thing. So right. it's the same. I also, um, I think the business you're in has taught you more about money too, I would say, because yeah. you were in the banks and then you went real estate. And I think that's missing for some people is they're not directly dealing with their money. So they're not taught to look at it every week and how much do I have and do I have the extra and if I have extra, where should that extra go? And I think I've mentioned this in a show, but nine out of 10 lotto winners go bankrupt. Yeah. And I think a lot of it is because they don't have a purpose. They just think the money's gonna make them happy. They keep spending it. And eventually they just run out of money and they realize it didn't make them happy. Right. Um, but having a sense of purpose for your money, where it's going, what's important to you. When I do a grid with people, once they write down what's important to them, it's very interesting. I don't need to motivate them anymore. They're like, you know what? I don't need to spend $200 at Target. I really want that 100 to go toward that car that I'm going to need in five years. Right. Or I really want that home improvement. Or I want to put a little bit of money away for my kids' college or whatever. But you're making choices about what's important to you mm-hmm. is the bottom line, right? hmm Yeah. Exactly. So. And you talk to me also about some of the biggest mistakes you see a lot of women make with mm-hmm. their money. Um, please share that you your lab. I'm, I'm, yeah,
1: because I'm, I'm usually the only one in the room talking about this. I, That's okay. This is my opinion. I see, like, if you look at the beauty business, um, particularly hair care for black women, it's a billion-dollar business, and the majority of people don't own any of the business. They're basically selling products. Um, and the the amount of money that goes into the hair and the nails and the clothes and the purses and the image, that money is a lot of money, and it is money that can be invested, and what I've found, what I've discovered talking to women is that they're really just spending this money, and for themselves, they're like trying to show each other up, because men, truthfully, go ask yours, (laughs) they don't really care about it, they don't really care about the eyelashes, and the, all the other stuff, and the thing is, You're a woman. We're half the population. You don't know how things are going to go as you get older. And when you have an opportunity when you're in your 20s and 30s and 40s to start saving money, you're going to need that because you don't know what the opportunities are going to be as you get older. You're going to need that as a, a foundation for anything that you do. We're in a time where, yes, women have a lot of great rights and things, but we still often get the less of something to still pay more. We work harder. And you want to have something for yourself. You want your own home. You want your own car. You want your own investments. You want your own money. You don't want to just depend on someone because that's another thing, marrying for money. (laughs) Um, You don't know if that's going to work out. Have your own money. I always wanted my own money. My mother taught me. She always had her own money. I always want my own money. When you don't have your own money, you're kind of locked into what somebody else wants.
0: And I, um, I think you're describing having independence, having independence, your own control over your life. Yes. And yes, I totally agree with that. Yes. I think a lot of them don't know better, though, to save at an early age. But I always describe to people at first, they're like, why should I just put, you know, money in the bank and save, you know, three, four, five months income in there and leave it in there? And I said, well, let's say you have a crappy boss one day and they treat you like with not the respect that you deserve." Then the money in the bank gives you the power, or even if you're laid off, the money in the bank gives you the power to quit. Or if you're laid off, you have money to live off of while you look for that next job. You're not desperate. Yes. And when you're not desperate, you make better choices. Yes. Same with in real estate or people that are entrepreneurs. I always tell them you should always have more than the average, at least five months income sitting in the bank. Because some months will be very good, and some months you might not have as many sales or your company doesn't do as well, and you want to be able to ride the ups and downs of your business, and you don't want to look desperate to your customers because, believe me, I think customers can smell that. And if you're out for their best interests instead of trying to make a buck, that's just a better way to be, right?
1: Yeah, and my own experience, when you're in an environment where you're not happy, and you're stressed, it impacts you. Just having knowing that you've got money saved for an emergency, money that you, you've got saved that you can live off of in case something happens, it's stressful being in an environment where you're living paycheck to paycheck and you have all of these obligations, but you stay there. Your health is suffering. Your mindset is suffering. You're not breasted you're just really not happy. And that's really not a way to live is, we're not here to just work and just not have any moments of peace. So for me, saving gives me some security that um, I have some control, but if I need to leave in an environment, any environment that's not healthy for me, then I have that opportunity.
0: Well, good point about the stress and not always thinking about money and how am I going to pay my bills? People are less stressed if they have money saved, period. There's no doubt about that. I wish I knew of a study I could quote, but I don't. The independence is a big deal to me, I think. I have some friends, obviously, they own businesses or we all work. I think we we're driving our kids up to camp or we were all hanging out together with our kids. Our husbands were not at this conversation. And it was so funny because um, we were all sitting around talking how we didn't need our husbands. We love our husband, right? And um, we brought it up together when we were all together with our husbands and they all started laughing and they said, well, you chose us for us, not because, right. you know, we're a paycheck or something. And they, it was just an interesting conversation. It's just a different mindset. So we want men and women, but we want you all to just be able to support yourself. We talk a lot about careers on this show because Your career is what makes you your money. Mm -hmm. And I always tell people, you know, sometimes something's better off as a hobby rather than a career. Yes. You have to kind of go back and forth. But when you're young, you can try it both ways. You can fail. It's okay. Yeah, time. (laughs) I have plenty of failures. (laughs) And the other thing I wanted to ask you is your parents being the, uh, it's kind of cool that they came up away from their family, took advantage of an opportunity, started to work Chrysler, you said, yep. right? made some money. Did they um, teach you how to invest?
1: No. My mother taught me how to save. I was going through some of her things, and she had a bank book showing how much she was making, working at the factory, and how she was saving like $20, $30 every time like, she got paid. And so I took, I asked her, could I keep it? And I gave it to my son, who's 21, and I wanted to show him, see Your grandmother was saving money while she was working. Okay, she had family, she had kids. She managed to put money away every time. So I gave that to him as a momentum to remind him as he gets older. Really, I wanted to concrete it in his head now. Uh, He's 21. You need to save a portion of your money. So we have have those discussions at least twice a year about what his objectives are what his plans are, and to save
0: money. Are you training your son or helping him figure out a career and where he wants to go in life? And, I mean, do you have those conversations with him? Yeah, but I go off of
1: what his gifts are. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, most This is what I'm finding out. People go and work somewhere and then they get older and like, you know, what's my purpose? I want to pivot. It's like, okay, I told him you save yourself a lot of headache <laughs> going into what your gifts are. So he's in a graphic art and marketing. So that's what he wants to go into. Um, he's a little interested in real estate, but I kind of leave it open for him to
0: gravitate where his gifts are. Everybody should do that. And then explore options of he can interview different people that have that background and see what they do and give some ideas for all the different careers he could go to. Right. Yep. I pushed him off the cliff. He's working downtown. <laughs> do you help him with his benefits at work and help him... Oh, he's under twenty-five, so he's still with me. (laughs) Well, the reason I say that I start teaching my kids when they're ten how to invest. So I guess oh, the investment stuff. Yeah. yeah. So I told him, okay, so I'm lazy because I can. Well, it's not normal. I do this for a living. Is what makes it different. But I want to start. Yeah. I want to start the idea going forward that parents talk openly with their kids about money. Yes. Their benefits, choices, putting money in their four k. Yes. and if they don't know how to put a portfolio together, go ask somebody. Yes, a professional. Don't just read it on the internet because there's too much bad yeah. information out there. Yeah. So, and I'm not putting you on the spot either. I don't mean it that oh, way. No. I, yeah, I'm. I'm more asking like, are you helping them or training them for life? About hey, you should oh. be investing. You should be putting money away. You're helping them with his career, obviously. Yeah, to figure that out. Yeah, so I've explained to him, even
1: before he was born, I had a trust in place, a will. And he knows that, he knows where it is. I have whatever assets I have there, I have them signed. He knows where that is, so I've talked to him about saving. And then since I'm, I guess I'm sort of like an entrepreneur of my own now, mm-hmm. um, working for myself, I've explained to him the benefit of me saving and how I can do what I do and live off my savings versus... Uh, panicking, like you know, what I'm going to do, what I'm going to do. So I've explained to him that importance, and then I had a E Trade account for him, and then we were putting money in that, and then they changed over, so we moved stuff. But I showed him that you know this is where you can learn about investing. But the lazy part for me is, and because I'm a nerd, I can go down in that hole and start digging up stuff and get fascinated. It's like, okay, I don't have, so I just for me. Saving is putting the money in, but I typically um, go through Fidelity, and I'll have the I'll go research the different stocks or the indexes or stuff. But I have to stop at a point because I can just see myself. So that's why I said I'm lazy. I I do I pick the easy thing because I already know I'm going to go down in that rabbit hole. Um, But I do explain to him all of the benefits of okay, you're in your twenties, you know your mama's not (laughs) getting older. So I explained to him about the values of savings, even if you, even like my mother, she didn't know anything about investing, but she knew to save. And so she knew she was getting an interest rate off of her Mm -hmm. payments. She wasn't really interested in the whole investment thing because we talked about this. She was like, I just want to get my CD amount and I'm good. So, but she knew she had to save and she's comfortable. So it paid off for her. She worked hard. She saved
0: and her plan, as simple as it is, has worked out for her. Well, you passed it on. Yep. You passed on what you learned mm-hmm. and it sounds like you're a little bit different that you've added saying, hey, I do investing and you showed your son. Mm-hmm. How do you feel his buddies are doing? Are they getting some training? Any of his buddies or your friends or your your circle of people, do you think that um, they're doing okay? Um,
1: I'm going to say, because he's 21, you know, that's, Tough a, that's a cool age, but uh, Elijah's a little... My son, like me, in many ways, um, he likes money. He likes to be comfortable. <laughs> so um, he listens about the money aspect. It, his age, I have talked to his friends a little bit from time to time, but, you know, I can only go so far. Um, hopefully, me sharing with him, he can share with his friends.
0: So I kind of push it towards him, and then he can share. And it I always I pushed in my book a million times. If you see a professional, they can at least... Um, Give you some portfolio building tools and things like that, that um, I think the biggest mistake people do is they'll pick the cheapest fund or an unmanaged fund Mm -hmm. or they don't diversify. I would say that's the biggest mistakes I see. I would agree. And I have not been very good at that. So I will admit (laughs) to that. Hey, nobody knows everything. Mm -hmm. I could do my own taxes and I don't Mm -hmm. because the tax person's much wiser than me. And I find I have a lot of questions. Should I do it A, this way, or B, another way? Mm-hmm. And then he discusses back and forth with me. And I, I learn a lot, but that's what they do all day. Exactly. So they're experts. Yeah. So what other things do you want to share that you think would help others just from your experiences in life growing up? And I know the sense of purpose. Mm-hmm. I think you grew up with a pretty solid foundation of parents, which is nice. Not everybody gets that, right? Okay. Yeah. Um. But I guess I'm just trying to think if there's anything else you think you'd like to share. I'm going to say have an open mind to
1: learn things that you may have not been interested in, things that you think are uncomfortable or maybe not for you. Anything related to life and business and money and investment and commercial real estate is my other thing of investment that I'm into, um, just in the thing about owning, own something. Because we talked a little bit about yeah. the whole rental thing. Own something. If you step back and look at it, we used to have, we paid $20 a month for our phones, landlines. We watched TV for free and we controlled our money a, a lot better. Um, Now we're sort of like, I call it in a pay as you go. Type of environment. You pay to rent your phone. You pay to use the phone. You pay to rent a house. You lease your car. And I've been saying this to my friends for the past two years or so. We are someone's business model. And if you are constantly paying for someone, paying to live and to phone and everything, you don't really own anything. You're just a piece in the puzzle. That's creating equity and wealth and opportunity for someone else. At the very least, own where you live, because in the world that we're living right now, a commercial real estate with all the housing that went through foreclosure in the 2008, there are a lot of renters. There's a lot of companies that even have come outside of the United States that are national companies that they engage in renting, They are building houses and apartments for you just to rent that you can afford, and you will never be able to save enough money to buy your own house. So, if you can own at least your house, you have a place to live, you have an asset to leverage, and you have a fixed amount that you know for the next 30 years, if you don't pay it out, what your rent is going to be. So, if anything, just own something somewhere where you live. And then build from that um, because the world is changing and you
0: need to have your own. You make some good points here. I think it's tougher. Everything's on monthly payments now. So you mentioned we watch TV for free. And now you have people that have four or five streaming services. So they could add those up and say, do I really need all those? Do I need to pay a monthly fee? And think about this a minute. They're probably paying hundreds of dollars a month just for their entertainment. And are you really watching that entertainment? Right? Right. And do you need all of those? Same with, I'll be honest with you, buying a used car might be better than a lease because you can pay for it and not have a car payment for a few years to catch up. But if everything's on leases and you add it all up, the bottom line is with everybody, I always ask people, A, what do you earn every month? What are you taking home every month? And B, what are your bills every month? And with the style of monthly payments now, Mm -hmm. that um, monthly bill to live off of every month is getting higher and higher, and and it makes it harder and harder for them to put money away because their obligations are so high. So you you make a very good point there that that is different how the world is changing. Mm -hmm.
1: Yeah, and if you're younger, you think that's the way, right? You don't know any better, right? And yeah, you don't, and you just see the money coming out of your account, and it goes up. And you really, your wages aren't going up at the same rate. You're getting a 2 to 3% increase a year, but your subscriptions are going up maybe 8%. How do you catch up with that? You can't. Right. And it's planned to be that way. There's things that are, I, I'll just share this with you. I went to Nashville last year for a forum on commercial real estate and walked through a property in an apartment not right off of downtown. And the apartment complex was, I think it was 200 units. It was $1,200 a month for a 450-square-foot apartment. And it had a common area uh, kitchen on every floor. And the way the rentals were structured at $1,200, it fit with under the affordable housing. It was more than just affordable housing, but it was basically a model for the income coming through all of the units, 450, there is no minimum of, like, how many people could live in the 450? Oh, wow. Okay, and I'm going, thinking to myself, this is another form of poverty, depending on where you put that model at, because you've got someone living in a small space, you got the money coming through. It's a model, and that is a, just a small version, my opinion, of what's going on, and you have to realize you are someone's business model and you want to be able to manage and have some control over what you do. Now, if that's the way you want to live, okay, but be aware of what's going on because your money is someone else's. Someone's creating opportunities to have your money go towards their business model, their equity, their wealth, their lifestyle, and it's generational wealth. It's not just the wealth for that person. They're building models to feed their
0: families for generations. And you're giving up money
1: for generations.
0: That's a very good point. And I think people at the time think that's affordable. And what happens is, um, I'll use my brother as an example, his rent, I'm talking several years ago, $750, 850 1000 1100 It was getting out of hand. Since then, we got a condo with him. He has a set fee. It's fixed. And now it's manageable and it's far less money than mm-hmm. what the apartment would have been. Mm-hmm. Um, so it used to be apartments were cheaper to live in, but I'm not sure that's the case anymore.
1: No, it's not going to be when someone knows that you can't afford to buy a house. Mm-hmm. It's just like in Detroit, the median income is 32000 for Detroit. That means that someone renting a house or apartment, the dollar amount for the rent should be about 500 and $600 a month. For them to be... Based on that income. Yeah, to be comfortable, but that's not the case. No, they're spending half their income to live. Right, and I think I read somewhere that people, I can't remember the exact number, I think it was pushing past, I think it was closer to 45% of their income for housing.
0: That is not an accident. And let's add groceries, transportation, et cetera. Insurance. And what you could do with that is, and so it's a circle though. They'll say, well, I can't afford to save any money. And that's why you and I are talking about, that's why we spend time on the show talking about careers or just looking ahead, like, what could I do? Or what does my boss do? And would I like to be that boss? Or what could you do to get ahead, get a little bit better? Like I said, it's either spend less or make more. In some situations, you got to find a way to make more, right? In that situation, it's tough. And if you're not taught, again, if you're not exposed to how to do this, you have to seek other people that are successful. Get out of yourself, get out of your... Circle friends that aren't making it and try to ask people that are managing, say, how did you do it? How can I do it? What can I do to do better? That's what we're trying to encourage. All right.
1: I think when I was 21, I was telling my son this. I used to go and read about, like, what are the careers that are going to be in the next 10 years? And I would plan, think about, like, day, and even now, I just did that last week, like, thinking about him. And I'm going, okay. these are the careers, like maybe for the next five years or whatever. But you have to think about what is going to be the next thing. I was just watching this documentary and the guys, they're making driverless trucks to transport. And basically the conversation came up. Well, aren't you putting people out of business? And he's like, well, uh, I will say that right now, if you're driving a truck, you will probably be able to drive your truck until you die or retire. But I wouldn't tell you to go and take a job or go to truck driving school because they're not going to need. So you need to know, you need to do some research. You need to do some reading and be open minded to look at things that you possibly say, ah, I don't really want to get. You need to know what's going on because you need to know how to plant yourself, position yourself for where the economy is going, where the environment is going out. There's a big, huge push now on renewables electric. You need to know what some of those industries are so you know where to plant yourself. Um, Some things are never going to go away, like real estate. Love it. It's never going to go away. (laughs) But there's some jobs that are going to go away. And you have to start thinking about that, how you can position yourself so
0: you can make... How could you be part of it? Yes. I agree with that. Well, this has been wonderful. You have a whole different perspective because you're coming from a real estate perspective, which I love. I've owned real estate over the years, but your mindset's way different than how most people think, which is nice. Yeah,
1: part of that is the analytical part of digging through the thousands of leases and reading the language of what is every document is a financial model. And so you start to learn the different things of how you can tweak. And then I just started thinking that
0: applies to life, too. Tweaking. It applies to life, and and. What's working best for you? I don't have someone, I don't have an issue if someone has a business model and they're making money off me, mm-hmm. okay? But if that's not in your best interest, yes. then you got to do what works for you. You have to get out of that. Yes. Tell us your sense of purpose, where they can find your podcast and information about that, because people might want to hear more.
1: Okay. So I have a ministry called Purpose Eight Institute. My podcast is called Living a Life of Purpose with Brenda Devine.
0: Um, We are on all major podcasts. Perfect. Thank you. Thanks for sharing today. I really appreciate it. Same here. Awesome. Thank you for having me. Thanks for listening to Uncommon Sense. I'm Jill Gleba. For more stories and all the financial knowledge you wish somebody had taught you, you can find my book, Uncommon Sense, at jillgleba.com.